Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space, episode 1403, for the week of Monday, April 4th, 2022. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Sawyer. Well, glad to be here. We've got a heck of a lot to talk about, and I can't wait to get diving in and get started. Oh, yes, but we can't dive in just yet, because we have to welcome Mark Ratterman. Welcome, Mark. Hello, and how slow can you go? Oh, we will find out from you just how slow slow is. But before we get to that, we need to go to the fast-developing situation that is the International Space Station and Russian relations. If you haven't listened to episode 1402, uh, I highly recommend that you do, which gives a whole insight into... Uh, how the Russian-Ukrainian conflict is impacting their involvement with the International Space Station, as well as the role between the U.S., all of the uh, participating ESA countries, and the Russian Space Agency on board the ISS. And if you're caught up, well, you're not necessarily always caught up just yet because things continue to change by the minute, and that includes... Uh, the latest set of tweets by the head of the Russian Space Agency, uh, who basically now says that it is suspending cooperation uh, between Roscosmos, the Russian Space Agency, NASA, the European Space Agency, uh, and all of them among, uh, and all of them as a result of the current ongoing sanctions. Uh, so, Gene, if you want to go into the details of uh, NASA, ESA, Canadian Space Agency, and uh, what Rogozin said to all of them. My, what a tangled web we weave. Anyway, uh, to this was a, a tweet that was posted by Mr. Rogozin earlier today. Uh, and again, today is Saturday, April 2nd, as we record this. Um, he writes, quote, the head of NASA, Senator Nelson, the head of the European Space Agency, Josef Aschenbacher, and the head of the Canadian Space Agency, Lisa Campbell, responded to my appeal to them demanding the lifting of sanctions against a number of enterprises in the Russian rocket and space industry. And he attaches uh, Mr. Nelson's uh, or Senator Nelson's letter uh, to Dmitry Rogozin, which states the following. One, um, thank you for your letter, uh, March 14, 2022, requesting clarification in the potential impacts of sanctions applied by the United States government on the continued operations of the International Space Station. The U.S. continues to, to support international government space cooperation especially those activities associated with operating the International Space Station with Russia, Canada, Europe, and Japan. The new and existing U.S. export 
control measures continue to allow operational operation between the U.S. and Russia to ensure continued safe operation of the ISS. To that end, NASA will continue to work with the relevant U.S. federal departments and agencies to facilitate continued cooperation on the operation of the ISS, including necessary ISS cooperation supported by, and they mentioned the two Russian agencies that are under uh, under U.S. sanctions at this point, um, and basically sustaining safe and successful ISS oper- operations uh, remain a priority for the United States. Sincerely, Bill Nelson. Um, essentially saying, he, he doesn't really mention the sanctions by name, but he basically says, hey, you know, we're working with the agencies to continue to operate the ISS safely and doesn't really say that, you know, we're going to pull the we're going to pull the sanctions either way. Lisa Campbell from the Canadian Space Agency uh, writes, uh, thank you for your note of March 14, 2022, requesting clarification of the potential sanctions applied by the Canadian government on the continued operation of the International Space Station program. I can assure you that Canada continues to support the ISS program and is dedicated to its safe and successful operations. While the Canadian agency has no direct cooperation with either of the uh, two companies um, in uh, that are being sanctioned by the United States. We will con- and the rest of the world, by the way. Um, she says, we will continue to work with the relevant Canadian government organizations to facilitate continued cooperation and operation of the ISS. So essentially the, the two letters are kind of, and Rogozin basically makes this observation. The two letters are kind of carbon copies of of themselves, uh, and I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there was a coordinated effort there. But um, uh, he, he basically notes that they will just you know, basically continue to engage with their own uh, country's organizations, um, and he quotes it. But the and then he 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 delivers Yosef uh, Aschenbacher's response, and which basically says, "Dear Mr. Rogoz, and I acknowledge the receipt of your letter, dated uh, 14 March 2022, regarding the sanctions related to JSC, um, TS Inamash, and uh, JSC SRC Progress. Those are the two." Um, Gov- those are the two Russian government uh, companies that are under sanction. I will forward a request to the ESA member states as these matters fall under their responsibility, um, or sincerely. And uh, it, essentially, he goes on to you know, it, it, it's it's clear the whole tirade is is just basically classic Rogozin tirade. Um, but he says here, nevertheless, the position of our partners is clear. The sanctions will not be lifted. Now, 
had Russia not invaded Ukraine, we wouldn't be in this, this sticky situation. Um, I'm just gonna gonna add that. Uh, but he continues to say, um, let me pull up the rest of the tweet. By this time, either the donkey will die or the ISS will, will die on its, its own death. Now, I don't know what, what he's talking about there. Um, nevertheless, the positions of our partners are clear. The sanctions will not be lifted. At the same time, fearing the destruction of cooperation on the ISS, where the role of Russia is of, the, of fundamental importance. Um to ensure the viability and safety of the station. Western partners make it clear that, in reality, sanctions in terms of work in the interest of the ISS will not work. And he basically, I consider the state of affairs unacceptable. The sanctions from the U.S., Canada, the European Union, and, Jap and Japan, he says, are aimed at blocking financial, economic, and production activities of our high enterprise high-tech companies the purpose of the sanctions is to kill the russian economy which yeah they are but there's a reason um and and he goes on and and on and on and on but the uh he he basically to end this he basically says i believe the restoration of normal relationships between the partners and the International Space Station and other joint projects is possible only with the complete and unconditional lifting of these sanctions. So he's sticking to his guns. Specific proposals of Roscosmos and the timing of the completion of the cooperation with, and to go on to the next, with the ISS, with the, the space agencies of the United States, Canada, the European Union, and Japan will be reported to the leadership of our country in the near future. So today he was supposed to go ahead and decide the future of the ISS. And to me, it sounds like he's kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. And he's letting, you know, he's saying that he's not happy with the decision, but, you know, it, it's just the way it is. And... My thought on, on this, in all honesty, is Mr. Rogozin's really got nowhere to go if he pulls out of the International Space Station. I mean, Joel Montalbano a couple of weeks ago, just during a uh, a pre-EVA uh, conference that was held before the, the two U.S. EVAs a couple of weeks ago, basically said the following um, The Russian side is dependent on us, and we're dependent on them. That's just the way this this particular vehicle is designed. Yes, they are. They need. Um, uh, we need them for the propulsion. We can do a uh, reboost, but the attitude control for the ISS is basically on the Russian side. That said, the power for all of this, the entire facility, comes from the U.S. side. So. Um, despite that, that lovely video that, that Rogozin, by the way, repeated on Friday on a, um, on, on a, uh, a, a sort of a Russian, uh, clone of Twitter, um, that video can't even happen. It, it basically depicts the, uh, the, the Russian side, um, 
you know, going off on its own and the U.S. side falling away. And th- there's just no way that could that could actually happen because the two are kind of linked together. Um, if Russia decides to go its own way with this and decides to, you know, not to participate with the International Space Station, that could be a, a little bit of a sticky wicket. But essentially, I think they're shooting their themselves in the foot. Because honestly, there is probably nowhere else for Russia to go if they decide to do that. They go with China, maybe, maybe not. China is not exactly their friend right now either, although they have had some cooperation in the past. I'm not too sure that that's that's going to be the case with with space. Also, I don't think... um, the Russian Soyuz could actually dock with the Chinese space station. I think the, um, I don't think the, um, the docking mechanisms are compatible. So, you know, everybody's saying, you know, well, heck, they'll just go to China. Well, it's not that easy. Um, there's also been a picture of a, of a possible uh, replacement station being floated uh, that uh, Rogozin has put out there, and some folks at uh, on on the Russian sides have also put out there. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, fine. How are you going to pay for that? Because right now their economy just can hardly support themselves. And it would be interesting to find out if Russia will have a program going forward. Um, after the conflict is over, because the Russian economy may be in so many tatters, it it may not be able to support the robust pro- program that they had before the war. Um, right, it's like the old joke right now, what's the difference between a dollar and a ruble? One dollar. But... Pretty, pretty much. I mean, that's the other thing too, Sawyer, you hit on something. Um, they want, uh, Roscosmos wants everyone to pay in rubles for for any kind of support or any kind of launch that they give uh, to try to prop the ruble up. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, nobody that I know of, no company that I know of that is still cooperating with Roscosmos is going to be going ahead and doing that. They're going to be paying in whatever currency that they're, they're used to paying in. Um, the other thing, too, and I don't know if this has been brought up here. Um, OneWeb has announced too that they are going with their arch rival uh, to, for launch services. At this point, they are they have decided they're going to go with SpaceX. You mean the broomstick? Yes, <laughs> the infamous broomstick. Um, in fact. Uh, as um, Irene Klotz had reported in Aviation Week, quote, um, this was from uh, CEO Neil Masterson um, of OneWeb, basically, quote, we thank SpaceX for their support, which reflects our shared vision for the boundless potentials of space. Um, so, and, and to me, it makes it, it makes perfect sense for 
because we, we talked about this on 1402 a little bit, on where OneWeb possibly would go. With the this. only thing that may hurt, just thinking about it, is OneWeb doesn't just launch out of Kazakhstan. They also use the Soyuz pad out of French Guiana, which is uh, ESA run, if I recall. So, you know, I, I it's hurting Russia, but in a way it's also hurting some of the staff there that works for ESA that supports the launches there. But then again, it's also helping with more jobs in the U.S. and providing more launches for SpaceX. So, you know, it's two sides to all of it. It's not just hurting Russia in that instance. You see, that's that's exactly exactly the deal. Not only is Russia losing the business, but it, it's also his his arch rival, yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk, is picking up the business from him. Um, and to me, if I'm OneWeb, that makes kind of sense in a way because um, to, to go with SpaceX, I mean, they build these satellites, I believe, in Brevard County. And it, from an operational standpoint, it, it kind of makes a ton of sense to just kind of load them up on a, on a, on a truck and, and tow them down to Launch Complex 40. Um, it. It it just makes you know financial sense to do it. So um, OneWeb is 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 teaming up with their rival to go ahead and and launch the OneWeb satellite constellation. Um, the other thing too, if I recall exactly, uh, there was something that was being floated by Northrop Grumman saying that they have, and we mentioned this on 1402, where they have enough um, Antares uh, launch vehicle components to launch through NG-19. NG-20, it gets interesting. However, do not be a bit surprised if we see the Cygnus launches emanating from... uh, uh, launch Complex 40 uh, and and SpaceX taking Cygnus to the International Space Station. So they, you know, what's, what, what the irony is, is, is Rogozin's losing business. And unfortunately, he wasn't really a direct competitor, competitor but with, with the Antares vehicle. The, the Antares vehicle was primarily built in Ukraine and its engines came from uh, from Russia, but uh, I don't, and I don't know what the full impact of that is going to be. Still, um, although some folks have been saying that this is not a big deal, yeah, it is because basically after NG nineteen, Antares probably won't exist, or at least it won't exist in its current form. Uh, either way, because the, the engines are under sanction, the RD-191s, um, you'd, you'd basically, even if you were able to go ahead and get the, the core stage back up and going, um, in Ukraine. And from what I understand, where that core stage is constructed has not been touched by the Russian military as far as bombing it into oblivion is concerned, because I think that might be an asset that they may want to keep uh, after the war going under the pretext that they win. So that's one of the reasons why they're kind of leaving that, that facility alone. Um, 
that's going under the pro- under the pretext that they actually are able to to hang on to what they've won in this war, which I'm I'm starting to have doubts about that. You know, seeing, reading, and seeing the news, but that's a personal opinion. One other thing I want to go back to really quickly with the ISS sure. itself, uh, and you know, we talked recently that the U.S. has said that they will, you know, continue. Uh, crew aboard the ISS until 2030 and then ending it in Point Nemo by 2031. Uh, one of the questions now is the future of that because Roscosmos recently has been kind of shaky anyway on their mm-hmm. ISS future. They have said that they are committed through 2024. Mm-hmm. Could this mean then that they bail out before 2030? And the way Vergozen's tweeting, it sounds like that's his vague threat here is, yeah, you guys can go to 2030, but, you know, if we don't go to 2030, then what? Yeah, and that's something in the back of my head, too, Sawyer. Um, I I was kind of pondering that myself, and to be honest, even before the war, out, you know, even before the war, it, it broke. Um, Russia was kind of intimating that they may not go to, um, to 2024. Uh, again, right now, I will stick to my, my initial opinion is that if they don't and they decide to go off on their own, it, before the war, I'd say, okay, they'd go ahead and possibly construct their own station we would probably you know call it a day after 2025 and kind of we might go ahead and end the program because there we would not have the um we would not have the wherewithal to to go ahead and keep things going the only other thing I can think of, and again, this is wild speculation on my part, we are building the a, a ion thruster system for Gateway. Now, theoretically, could you go ahead and take something like that and put it onto the ISS for attitude control? Um, that's a possibility. If you wanted to extend to 2030, 2031, that's a possibility. And again, this is me just, I'm just spitballing here and I, I freely admit it, but that could extend the life of the ISS. However, I'm going to also say that the facility cost what in the neighborhood of, I think about 4 billion a year just to keep the lights on. And that four billion could really go a long way in the exploration program. So it's something else you I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, you have to have to think about too. Now the ISS is an incredible facility. It would be a blasted shame to lose it without a replacement up there. And I know we've 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 got some commercial stations in line, but they will not be ready by 2025. No way. 
So it's it's just something to consider in this mess. The other thing too, and, and Anatoly Zach brought this up on Twitter. Um, the certain parts of the the Russian segment are not feeling well right now, and there's some debate on whether whether or not they're going to go the distance uh, because of their current state. And I know the Zarya module still is has got uh, problems where it's got leaks here and there to the tune of a pound of oxygen a day. It has not been um, a huge detriment to the crew yet, um, but we still don't know where that leak is. There are some other failures that have been going on too, but uh, uh, the Russian segment is getting kind of creaky and complaining. So, you know, there is that there too. Is the equipment going to hold out through 2030? But, you know, another big if. I mean, I know the, the, I know Joel Montalbano was asked about that a while back ago, and he said, if worse came to very worse, we could just close out that segment and just, you know, close the door and, and not even use it anymore. So that wouldn't really be a huge, huge problem. But, um, you know, there's still other, other failures going on on the, on the Russian segment, according to Anatoly Zak that, uh, uh, need bearing and, and looking at. So, you know, there, there's a lot of what ifs going on. And, and again, this is all speculation. This is not hardcore news. I just want to put that out there. Um, but right now I think we're, we're in a state of flux and, and we just don't know where, where things are going to go. I will say this though, if the Russians do pull out and they decide to pull out, there's nowhere for them to go. I mean, that could basically lead to the end of their human space program for the foreseeable future. Because right now they just don't have the money to do anything else. One good bit of cooperation from the ISS that we do have to remember here is that there are still Americans and Russians on board. And it was very nice that they, you know, basically said that in their farewell ceremony for the most recent crew and that, you know, we are one crew. And now uh, two Russian cosmonauts, as well as NASA astronaut Mark Vandehei, are back on Earth. They touched down safely in Kazakhstan on March 30th, 2022. After this flight, that now means that Mark Vandehei now holds the record uh, for the longest single space flight by an American astronaut at 355 days, beating out Mark Kelly's previous record. Yeah, and, and Sawyer, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the other thing I, I really wanted to get out there. If you talk to anybody connected with the International Space Station program, the Russian folks have not missed a beat with supporting the International Space Station and its mission. Um, I'm going to also point out too, when the new crew came on board, um, what color was the jumpsuits they were wearing? They were in fact, blue and yellow, eerily similar to the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Yep. And, you know, everybody, you know, the, the whole deal was saying that, well, you know, that, that we, we just had the spare cloth in storage. And a few other individuals were bringing up the uh, 
the fact that uh, I believe the, the entire crew graduated from a from a college um, alma, and the the alma mater's colors were the, those exact colors. But you know, I have a feeling that there was a message there. <laughs> um, with uh, to the uh, to the Russian government, uh, just a subtle one, and uh, it, it's just if if you again, it, it, nothing missed a beat with the rank and rank and file of, of Roscosmos. They have been, if if you talk to anybody within NASA, they have they have been as supportive as they ever have been. Um, and I kind of feel sorry for them because they're kind of stuck in the middle of this whole thing. They here they are. They're they're doing their jobs, and they're sticking to, um, they're sticking to the mission, and uh, they're they're trying to balance out the need to to you know make sure that their crew doesn't run into problems that the mission succeeds, and having to deal with the bombacity of uh, of the boss. So, you know, I, my, my heart's out to them. Um, but they have, e- even when Mark Vandehei returned, if anybody took a look at, at that entire uh, uh, operation, it went like clockwork. There was no problem whatsoever. Every, it was just business as usual. And, you know, there was no... No banners supporting anybody or anything. It was just go ahead and and get the crew out. Make sure everybody's good. They're in good health. They're safe. Um, make sure that the vehicle is safe. Make sure that everything that needs to get out of the vehicle is out of the vehicle. Um, all of it. Everything was just a typical you know Soyuz landing, uh, and. That I thought was was another clear message, uh, and um, you know, offline, off, you know, when we were talking about this, Sawyer, um, as I said, there was no banners or anything like that, which was, you know, kind of in in stark com, you know, in stark conflict to uh, the DM two return, which we're we're not going to get into. Um, thankfully, the Coast Guard is has since rectified that problem. Yeah, there were no political messages of any kind within yeah. the camera view. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I, I was I was quite happy to see that at the uh, at the return of uh, Soyuz MS nineteen. It went off like a dream. You know, everybody was did their part in that ballet. And I, I'm going to give the the Russian folks a ton of credit for not going that route and just going ahead, keeping their eyes on the prize and continuing to work um, to support the International Space Station. Everybody has been, at least behind the scenes, has been professional. And that's coming from our side of the street and not not their side that's coming from you know joel montalbano and his team so uh you know that that that's a big deal and that to me is a signal that uh the russians really do want to continue working 
with us on on the International Space Station program, or at least at least the rank and file do. What the um, what the higher ups decide to do is is I think going to be another matter altogether. And uh, so we we await the decision. But uh, to be honest with you, Sawyer, they got nowhere else. Uh, I'll and this is my opinion again. They pull the plug. They got nowhere to go. And I think they're shooting their own human spaceflight aspirations in the foot if they pull the plug. Right. And again, it sounds like the astronauts and the cosmonauts want to work together, too. So it's just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to them, it's they haven't missed a beat either. Which is great. Yeah. I mean. And we wouldn't, to be honest with this story, I wouldn't expect anything less. True. Uh, They're true professionals. Right. Unlike politicians. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for the observation. Because, again, these are are people that have to work together because their lives depend on it. And and that's the bottom line. You're, You're up there. You're 250 miles above the Earth in probably the most hostile hostile environment one can find you know the slightest move outside literally could kill you if you're not careful and these folks know it they know that you know their lives but depend on on each other and i think that that's come out in all of this exactly so this is obviously, again, something we're going to have to continue to follow because in just a couple of weeks, so much has changed already. But Yeah, and, and we'll keep an eye on it. We'll, we'll make sure that things go. But again, my, my prediction is that I think Russia grudgingly stays with the International Space Station despite Mr. Rogozin's bombacity. And, uh, you know, and... I, I think that's that's just the way it's. I think it's going to go because if you weigh it any other way, um, the Russian program is doomed. Uh, it may be doomed anyway because of all of the sanctions. They may not be able to recover. They may not have a space program worth cooperating with because of the the devastating impact of the sanctions and it would take them excuse me years to recover but uh uh i i think leaving the iss would be a a huge mistake on on russia's part yes so uh again something we will continue to follow as we move on to something that we've also been continuing to follow probably since about the start of our program back in 2009. And that was Constellation, which then was not Constellation, which then didn't have a name, which is now Artemis. Yeah, taking the long way around to get there. But finally, after all of these years, the last piece of flight hardware that we had seen at Launch Complex 39B was Ares 1X. With that program long dead and gone, we once again have a rocket on 39B, and that is the Space Launch System, or SLS, ahead of the wet dress rehearsal, followed by Artemis 1. 
it finally rolled out from the VAB to Historic Pad 39B. And uh, just so happens that our very own Mark Ratterman was there for the entire rollout. And uh, finally, I love when I get to do this, Mark. I get to hand a story over to you. Take it away. Tell us what it was like, what happened, what you saw, all of the jazz and fun from that. Well, I'll try and tell a story with this, and hopefully it'll be interesting. But uh, as the crow flies, I live about 160 miles to the northwest, roughly, of Kennedy Space Center. And I got up in the wee hours to get down there in time to pick up my press credentials to get to the press site in time to catch uh, the transportation, the buses out to where the first event was, which was the door opening of the VAB. Now, the, the trip in between point A and point B started out in the darkness and then uh, turned into fog with poor visibility, which turned into scattered clouds and then heavier clouds and then back into the open and it's kind of the way the whole space launch business goes. You just never know for sure what you're going to get. And that kind of is the theme of that 24 hours or so that I was on site. Now, I had not been to Kennedy since uh, 2014 or 15. To be honest, I kind of lost track of what things were when. And, of course, with the uh, isolation and shutdowns due to COVID, you know, it, it really made an impact on the press part of the house for events at Kennedy. Uh, so I wasn't alone in having not been there for a while. Several of the people that I recognized and talked to had not been on site for a couple of years. And um, it was exciting. I mean, as as the media started, uh, ag- you know, accumulating there at the press site, uh, it became obvious that this wasn't just going to be one of these media events with uh, – you know, 30, 50, you know, a busload or a busload and a half of people. Um, I would guess there was between 100 and 200 press at most of the things that happened there in the next day plus a little bit. But uh, it was kind of interesting that the number of, of media representatives, and they were they were busy, they were scattered, um, in the press site, there wasn't the usual accumulation of people that you could walk up to the counter and talk to. There was only one or two people around, and they were busy with uh, with tasks that they had. So it felt kind of disconnected from what I'm used to, where you could always kind of get a, a quick idea just by eavesdropping or or by hearing announcements that were made as to what was happening. But nonetheless, the buses did load. From the press site, we did go out to the viewing area to watch the VAB door opening, and I thought that was going to be quite exciting. And uh, I got to admit to my longevity, let's say. It's been 10 years since the uh, shuttle program and the abundant amounts of time that I spent on site during those last three shuttle flights. And... uh, I wasn't really set up and geared for the amount of standing around and waiting. And when I say, how slow can you go at the beginning of the show, that kind of alludes to a lot of the waiting game. And I had forgotten how much a part of that is often the situation with the space program. 
So we went out to the viewing area, which is alongside Saturn Causeway, the road that parallels the uh, crawler way. And we were looking at the VAB a short distance away. The doors, I think the bottom door sections was open. You could see the steel structure of the launch platform. And as we waited for the doors to slowly raise and slowly, indeed, they did. Oh, my gosh. I think there was grass that grew around us waiting for those doors to open. (laughs) And, you know, there again, not being familiar with Artemis. And I know lots of people are not. In days since, there's been a a lot of pictures of the rocket and the uh, launch platform, and you see how it all goes together. But I'm looking at a massive gray steel structure, and occasionally you could, if you looked in the right places, you could see a little bit of, oh, that must be the solid rocket booster. That must be the strap-on booster. Okay, yeah, and I think I can see the Artemis core stage you know, in, in bits and pieces. So the VAB door opening, again, it was exciting, but you kind of felt cheated because I go back to the shuttle program and there were several times that I was inside the VAB, went up to various levels, ground level. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the heights that we were at. I think ground level, uh, level five, and then up at the, uh, up at the orbiters, uh, crew cabin, uh, level. I forget what number that was in height for the building, but I'm used to being there and close. And so here we are standing in the grass alongside the road, looking at uh, the VAB, which seems so far away. (laughs) And it was frustrating, but sure enough, it wasn't long after that. They said, okay, we're going back to the press site and uh, back to the press site, wait a few more hours, line back up for buses. Now we've got a lot more buses and a lot more people. And they had the sweep with the, uh, the canine that comes and sniffs all of the gear, the, the bags, all of the things that are going out with you alongside the crawler way because security and safety is utmost in the minds of, of NASA. And I think they did a very good job at it. I talked to a local canine who has a, a dog that uh, sniffs for explosives and I, I related my experience and what I saw. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, a, a dog could definitely pick up on anything that didn't belong there. He said, if it seemed like it was a pretty fast inspection by you, trust me, no. That was plenty of time for uh, a canine to pick up on something that shouldn't be there. So security, um, there was confusion at times. But Got to give them credit. We were always at the places we needed to be when the events happened. Now, as far as the actual rollout, uh, the doors were open from late afternoon until the beginning of rollout, which I think was scheduled for 6 p.m. And it seemed to uh, start the rollout. And then there was a bit of a hesitation. And I heard someone saying something about the... uh, the uh, jacking equalization leveling system on the crawler that they'd had a a glitch perhaps again, that's secondhand and I don't really trust what I heard, but there was a a delay. And then finally the uh, crawler and Artemis one started moving towards us. And as it got closer, I would estimate we were maybe 200 feet from the, from the rocket as it went by on the crawler way and very impressive. It's like, 
unlike the shuttle, which I had seen inside the VAB up close, and I'd also seen from the press site as it moved down the crawler way on rollouts in the distance, um, Artemis is definitely big. And you kind of fail to appreciate it because everything is to scale. You're seeing the solid rocket boosters. You're seeing the core stage. You're seeing the mobile launch platform, the VAB. And it's easy to to not appreciate how big it is. And when I related the height of it at 322 feet to buildings that I had been in in Florida, you don't have that many high rises, but the few that you're around are often not as tall as the Artemis rocket. So very impressive. I did find that uh, I took a chair with me. So sitting in the grass alongside the Saturn Causeway, you know, waiting for Artemis to come our way and to go past us. I could spend plenty of time sitting. I was taking some photos, but I wasn't taking nonstop. I'm not a photographer. I'm not that kind of press. It's more the things that uh, I saw, the impressions that I had that I wanted to bring back. And so what surprised me was, in fact, it's funny, before they even started the rollout, I was talking to a couple of people from another organization, and I said, well, let's see, the sunset is going to be at such and such a time, and it'll be behind the VAB, so the building will be blocking the sun from us, we'll be in the shade, and I said, let me check and see when the moon rise is, and I looked on the schedule, hey, the moon is going to be coming up just a short time later. That's interesting. We'll have a sunset and a moonrise. And I didn't appreciate the fact that it was either full moon or close to a full moon. And so that whole scenario of Artemis coming past us and the moon rising and the sky darkening, uh, it was like magic. I mean, it was exciting beyond words. And yet at the same time, Everything goes in slow motion. Everybody knows the crawler is slow, but when, you, when you're standing there and you look at the rocket and you go, gosh, I wish I could get a slightly different perspective, either you missed it 10 minutes ago or if you wait 10 minutes, it'll change and you'll have a shot that, that, you're, that you're hoping for. And I was surprised not being a photographer, but having an eye for things that I wanted to catch what I did manage to catch was just a cell phone. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to have been there and to seen it. And I got to tell you a, uh, a story. Well, actually let me kind of virtually stop looking at the rocket and turn around behind me. Uh, behind us was large areas that NASA had set up for people to park cars. So this is NASA employees, family members, guests that all had their passes and they were for hours, they were pulling in, parking, setting up chairs. They were waiting for rollout and knowing that the NASA family was there and that here we are as press, we're up on the front row and they were behind us. And everybody had a good view because all you got to do is stand up or hold your camera over your head and it's as if it's just you and the rocket. So there were a lot of the NASA family that were there for this event. And the, uh, the excitement of it was, I would say, something that rivaled uh, 
and I hadn't been to that many of the shuttle launches, but I would say it rivaled the shuttle program. Uh, people were relating it to being like, wow, this is what Apollo was like. And I know that there were some incredible numbers of press and people on site during Apollo launches, the Saturn V launches, and the Artemis is often compared to that. But um, so anyway, I, I'm telling you, there were people there that weren't press. And one time I was I was walking over to a different area alongside the area that the press was was asked to stay within. And I see a young couple. And I'll ask you to pardon me because I'm I'm half getting choked up just thinking about it. But there was a young couple, a husband and wife, let's say. And the woman was very pregnant. She was definitely with child. And I couldn't guess how far she might have been from having a baby. But she and her her uh, partner were standing there. And between them, they were holding a little outfit that you would have for an infant. You know, the little snap-on, you know, short-sleeved, you know, snaps-on them outfits. It said, I love you to the moon and back. Oh, <laughs> that is so cool. And me thinking about it, you know, here's a young couple about to have their first child. And here goes a rocket going by in a very, very stately manner, let's say. And uh, I kind of wished I had could have taken a picture but honestly, I felt like it would have intruded on kind of a private moment between them and Artemis and friends that were with them. And uh, so I guess, you know, part of what I'm telling you about is that this is more than just a, a structure of steel and wires and parts and pieces. This really is people. And so I mentioned the constellation program. And I guess if you were to look at a chart, a pictorial representation of the space program, you would see all those changes through the many years since the, the first days of, of the space program for the U.S., and all of those events, all of those images that come to mind are brought about by people. And that's one gorgeous rocket. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, some of it is the things that you know about it, how big it is, how much it weighs, the capacity that it's going to have for launch, the planned improvements and changes and what's going to happen in the future. But I've met a lot of people during the end of the shuttle program that I spoke to that were just so impressive as to their knowledge and their, their ability to communicate uh, the astronauts, certainly, but the mission managers, the launch directors, the NASA test directors, all of these people 
have a part in what's going on. So that was the rollout. Uh, the next morning was another planned event for the media to go out to uh, somewhere near pad 39B and get pictures of Artemis on the pad because it's 11 hour, I think, rollout from VAB out to 39B. And sure enough, we get out there in the darkness. <laughs> you couldn't see the VAB. The fog was so thick. <laughs> You'd be measuring visibility in like a couple hundred feet, maybe, if that. And so we waited and waited and waited. And even at the time where I thought, why aren't we out by the pad? Even if it's foggy, let's at least get out there so we can wait. But we waited and we still went out by the pad on the beach road to a viewing area. And we were still there for another hour before the fog started to lift. And uh, when it finally did, it was definitely worth it uh, to see Artemis on the pad. And I know everybody's seen pictures and some of them I took. Um, it was it was quite exciting. And to know that it's going to be on the pad for a while, that they've got the testing that was to be done that's uh, in progress this weekend as we record. Um, no particular stories from the viewing area by the pad other than just, um, again, the excitement of waiting for that fog to lift and finally lifting and hearing one of the other folks out there say, I can see the tower. And I looked and I go, yeah, that's a tower, but that's one of the lightning protection towers. I still can't tell where the rocket is. And then five minutes later, 10 minutes later, boom, there's there's the rocket on the pad. The fog is slowly raising up and you're getting a good view of it. And it was it was, again, quite extraordinary and uh, something that I know in spite of my complaints about how long everything took. Oh, my gosh. Um, migrating birds probably left the state of Florida or, you know, passing through to the north during this this early spring migration. And, you know, we're waiting for the fog to lift so we can see the rocket. But uh, it was it was fun. I'm, I'm glad I was there. I'm glad we're at this starting point, which is definitely not a starting point. We're in the middle of so many years of work, so much design and engineering and planning and actually hands on hardware that uh, we're not at the start of anything, but it's so good to see a rocket on 39B. Uh, I got a feeling I missed the Ares 1X that Sawyer mentioned was last out there. It could have been the same day. I know I was out there for, uh, I was out there at the press site, but uh, I was focused on one thing and not paying attention to actual other media things going on. But uh, it's good to see Artemis there. I'm looking forward to some good news. I hope everything goes super smooth. There's always a learning process and everything that you do for the first time, sometimes even for the 100th time you're learning. And I look forward to NASA having the opportunity to, to tell this story to us. I know that when we get to Artemis launch, it's going to be a multi-day event. Um, they're going to really 
bring out people for the uh, press to talk to. I hope I can be in there for as much of it as I can because I still have a day job. So that does have its challenges with doing the other things that I want to do. But uh, that's my short, long story from Kennedy Space Center from just a couple weeks ago. And I appreciate the opportunity to carry the talking space flag back to Kennedy again. And I know, Sawyer, you've been there for many, many SpaceX launches and other other events. So it's not like we haven't been there at all. It's just I certainly haven't been. So it was special for me. Yeah, Mark, the, um, uh, the final total of individuals that were out there, um, and I, I heard this on uh, the... Uh, the wet dress rehearsal uh, telecon just the other day um, was about 7,000 individuals were out there uh, to cheer on um, SLS as it, as it went down the road to, uh, to launch complex 39B and um, to just, just to, I did some side looking because Sawyer, you kind of, kind of painted the picture a little bit as far as how long it took to get here. Um, just for giggles, I looked at the Talking Space website, and that is TalkingSpaceOnline.com for anybody that's wondering. Um, the first time we had uttered the word Space Launch System was on September 21st, 2001 with uh, episode 338 and 2011 2011 thank you i'm tired um thank you for the correction now if you do the just do the computation there it it, it took five years from that point to get to the point where mark was um which is just about as long as it took to uh to get it was postponed basically as long as it basically took shuttle um so you know the shuttle was was had its growing pains as well and it it took five years to correct them um yes that means from first mention to first rollout of SLS now was, if we mention it in 2011, that's 11 years. Well, what I was going to say is we, we read, we read our, our, to read the, the show notes, the system was scheduled for completion in 2017. Um, that was the initial projection. It was actually rolled out to the pad in 2022. So we're talking about a five-year you know, issue between or five year uh, gap between the initial they thought was going to be the the initial rollout and the um, the actual rollout. Yeah, both numbers are kind of scary either way. But the the most important thing is the count is over. There is a rocket out on thirty nine b that is ready to go to the moon, albeit uncrewed for a two week test. But that's that's our next rocket, America. Right. There is your next rocket. Right. And In fact, that's I believe that's what it, you know, Mark. 
you know, was was because because of the the com problems we were having, um, we were having a significant problem getting a, a a connection from you know from the Kennedy Space Center. So Mark had devised a, a sneaky way of trying to get photographs up there, and when I was doing was was supporting that effort, Mark would just drop them off into a repository. I'd pick them up and put them out on the the Talking Space web web page, I mean uh, Twitter page, and uh, um, it, I I believe I I started one of the the, the Talking Space tweets to that effect, and I said, "The Ameri- behold, America, there's your new rocket." Um, but Mark, as you said, it takes people to do that, and one of the things that Tom Whitmire. Um, who is the uh, the project manager for SLS, basically put out there and said that he wanted to personally thank everybody involved in getting that vehicle out to Launch Complex 39B, whether they were there or not. Um, you know, to, to, for the folks that were able to go, he applauded them. Um, he was so happy they were there. But for the con- the subcontractors that worked all over the country to get that vehicle out there, he said that was your moment just as much as it was anybody else's. And remember that you worked extraordinarily hard to get to that point. And as you were describing all of the individuals, you were saying this takes people. Um, his his words were echoing in my head during during that entire thing. And, um, the other, the other thing, Mark, I wanted to mention was the story of that couple that you had, had, uh, put on there and, um, you didn't need to take the picture because, um, the tapestry you painted this evening with your words, I think did them justice and that new life that's going to be coming into the world in the not too distant future is going to have a bright one um, and may actually go ahead and be involved in in the future of that rocket because that rocket is going to be with us for, for a, quite some time from what I understand. And uh, may that individual who's yet to be born into this world may actually go ahead and play a role in in the future of that rocket and its and its future exploration so you you painted a tapestry very very well tonight and i i that's one of the reasons why we sent you out there and that's why i was so glad when you when when you were able to capture everything you did because um i think you painted that tapestry really really well yeah, I have to add just a, a little bit to it. Um, you know, something I honestly did not cross my mind once was astronauts. And yet, while standing out by the uh, crawler way, waiting for the doors to open mid-afternoon, what do I hear but that characteristic sound of a NASA T-38 overflying the area and then out towards the ocean, doing a circle around the pad, and back into land. 
And doggone, if they didn't have, I believe there were three astronauts and I've forgotten who the three were. I'd have to look and jog my memory, but one was, I believe, Victor Glover. Yeah. And I got I to gotta tell you a little story in the press site later that afternoon. He walked in to probably talk to somebody in one of the offices, and then he was back out a, a few minutes later. And he stopped, and he picked up a couple of the posters that were on the, uh, on the counter, which there was very little information to actually uh, have your hands on. Of course, this wasn't a launch. This wasn't what I was used to. But he picked up a couple of the same posters that I had picked up, and I thought, that's pretty cool. He's picking up something for a friend or somebody in his family. And I think most of the uh, the two or three posters there were commemorating the Kennedy Space Center 60th anniversary. And I would like to point out that for all of the starts and stops and starts that is so much a part of any highly technological effort, the space program or anything, that the moon's not going anywhere. It's going to be there. If we get there in June with Artemis, it'll be there. If it's a month after that, it'll be there. If we don't launch crew for two full years, it'll be there. Let's be encouraged by what we can do and not discouraged by what seems to be the speed bumps and the slowdowns and the hesitations that are so much a part of an enterprise like this. Let's be encouraged by the successes and encouraged by continuing to look forward to things that are beyond what has been done before. Gosh, just something that's new is exciting. So even if it's people say, oh, we've been to the moon, why are we going there? Well, we're going there. Isn't that enough? You nailed it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Well yeah. said. You nailed it, Mark. I mean, that, that's, I, I can't say anything else after that. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, I, I don't think you can say any more than that, Mark. I think we sent, uh, we had the perfect person down there for this. That's for darn sure. I may be honestly a little jaded because of all the launches I go to, but it's nice to have that, uh, fresh set of eyes but someone who still knows what they're talking about and finding those little stories those are always the best like when uh we talk to you know the family behind the ret revolution and it's just those little things when you go to these events yeah the launch is great i mean don't get me wrong nothing beats a rocket launch but when you just find that interesting backstory those people that really make you see that it's more than just a piece of technology it's more than a price tag it's more than a projected launch date there's people behind everything and every launch has a unique story behind it and it's so nice when you can find that unique story and share it and that's what we love to be able to do here that's why after oh gosh 12 13 years we're still doing this is because every time it seems like there's nothing to tell there's so many more backstories to every launch and mission and everything. So Mark, thank you for sharing that. Indeed. I, I just, you know, uh, to echo what Sawyer said, I couldn't wait to, to be a part of tonight 
because I was so looking forward to hearing whatever you were, whatever traveler's tales you were bringing back, Mark. And uh, um, I, I knew for, for a fact that you know, we were, we were going to have, you know, a footprint on the ground over there that was, that was really going to bring back some extraordinary stuff. And gosh, darn it. You, you, you never fail to, to go ahead and, and get the human side of this and bring out the human side of this. And I'm glad that you were able to go ahead and capture a lot of these moments for us. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, Mark, thanks a, a whole bunch. And as you were kind of alluding to there in your timeline at the end, the official launch date from NASA is no earlier than May 2022, although that is looking closer to June 2022 at the earliest, of course. As we learn more, we will keep you up to date as as we are recording this. The wet dress rehearsal is ongoing and what they find or don't find could very much change that launch timing as well. Right, Sawyer, and I'm just going to throw something out. This was uh, just from NASA's Exploration Ground Systems, a, a tweet uh, no more than, oh, uh, just under 51 minutes ago. This was their last one. Uh, teams are proceeding with operations for Artemis One wet dress rehearsal. There were four lightning strikes within the Launch Complex 39B perimeter. There are certainly... There are currently, excuse me, no countdown constraints. The team will review data at 6 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time for a decision to proceed with tanking. So from what I'm seeing, they're actually, um, they're actually bang on schedule. Uh, because I'm looking at the schedule here, um, and uh, on April 3rd at uh, 1.40 in the morning, uh, the uh, interim cryogenic propulsion stage will be powered up and uh, all non-essential individuals at Launch Complex 39B at L-12 hours will be asked to leave the, uh, the area. Um, and at 6 a.m., uh, a built-in hold in the, in the countdown will start and last approximately 1.5 hours. Um, Launch director and, and mission management team chair will conduct a weather and tanking briefing at L minus eight hours and 20 minutes. And then the launch director and mission management team chair decide if they are go or no go to begin tanking uh, the launch vehicle at L minus seven hours, uh, 50 minutes. And so, and this is all within that, um, that 6 a.m. time frame. And, uh, so it looks to me that like they are bang on schedule as far as uh, what their operations are planned. And again, I want to emphasize that this wet dress rehearsal is a test. They are going through the procedures to launch this Leviathan for the very, very first time. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, liable to be some, you know, little glitches and things like that, that, that move along and, and they, who knows, we may not get through this whole thing. Hopefully we will. If we do get through the wet dress rehearsal, um, tomorrow, which will be, uh, as we record this Sunday, April 3rd, um, it will conclude at about two thirty 
if I'm reading their schedule correctly, um, it will conclude somewhere around um, eh, somewhere around the two thirty nine uh, Eastern Daylight Time period, and uh, then uh, I believe Monday, um, Tom Whitmire said that. They would return and talk to the press to figure out, you know, present at least some things that they have learned going forward. And I'm going to dial into that, I hope, and uh, uh, be able to, to sit in on that and deliver whatever I can to, to, to the team here next time we meet. So um, we'll, we'll go through what we know from Wet Dress, but... The whole idea behind the wet dress rehearsal is just to get through the countdown, just to see what their processes are like, what the hardware is like, what the procedures are, are like, and again, what the people are like. Because that that's that is the really is as Mark emphasized. That's that's really the most important thing. Are do are are the people in line? Is there any confusion about the procedures and so on and so forth? So this is not only just a test of hardware, the software, all the systems. Mark, you and I years ago were there uh, when they were testing um, a lot of the umbilicals and things like that, that that hook up actually to the vehicle and how they're going to respond during uh, during launch and how they're being designed to, to pull away quickly so uh, and safely so nothing damages the rocket during ascent. But um, uh, the the whole idea behind the, the the this this thing is to make sure that all of their processes, procedures, software, hardware have been ironed out, and they understand it, and they know what they need to to do to go ahead and uh, work with this vehicle. Um, after which, uh, after the the wet dress rehearsal is completed vehicle will be saved and then brought back to the VAB to do some additional tuning and, and so on and so forth based on what they've learned. And then a determination will be made to find out really what the exact launch date will be. And uh, Tom Whitmire during one of the uh, during one of the press conferences, because there have been at least two or three, um, said that he understands why everybody wants to get a date because you know with everybody's preparing for this and you know they're, they're buying airline tickets they're trying to get hotel reservations and so on and so forth and he said that is one of the reasons why we're trying to be really really careful with the launch date uh we want to make sure that we're not leading people down the primrose path we understand people are, are making plans they want to be here and uh uh, so we we're we're going to go ahead and and get that launch date out, but want, we want to make sure that that launch date is you know basically as in stone as they can get it at you know at that juncture you know as you know Sawyer Mark being a veteran of launch dates and all of that you know things can go right or pretty much because of because of weather, because of software, because of any old thing. So they're, they're really, really trying to make sure that, that people get there. 
and the people that need to get there and people that want to get to to the launch actually can can view it so um that that's one of one of the the reasons why they're kind of playing it hold close to the vest as far as the launch date at this point but um i'm just i i am i am just overwhelmed and overjoyed that we finally have a launch vehicle out there we finally have a successor to the saturn V out there and this vehicle is going to strut its stuff in the not too distant future and uh, so is Orion, and we'll see it do its thing, you know, either for um, tw- for a 24-day or possibly a 42-day mission. So um, we will, I-, I am so looking forward to this first step, because the second step is going to be people on board. And that is something I am I'm really looking forward to is finally getting into the interplanetary exploration business again. So, uh, um, again, I'm, I'm, it may not sound it, but I am just absolutely excited to just watch this happen as I can comprehend it. Because the last time this happened, I was just too young to, to understand what was going on. Uh, but now I'm, I've got the virtue of being much older and, uh, a little wiser to to really feel it and, and understand what's 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 at stake so i'm looking forward to to the artemis missions and we will have much more on artemis and the wet dress rehearsal as well as the results of it and what that means for a potential launch date as we were just talking about in our next episode which you can hopefully expect before the end of april Uh, We also have so much more that we didn't get to talk about this week, but stay tuned. I promise we've got more. Uh, I will be at the Axiom launch, which is currently scheduled for uh, Wednesday, April 6th. And by the time this episode goes out, you'll know whether that happened or not, but we will still be there for the launch. Uh, And we also still have the NASA budget that we will dive into with Dr. Kat Robison, who I know is going to have a field day joining us with this. But before we wrapped up... (laughs) I wanted to uh, just end with a little bit of fun. Of course, there's always April Fool's Day posts from everyone and everything, everywhere. You name it, someone's done it. And in the past, NASA's had their fun. But one group that I haven't really seen do much with it is the Canadian Space Agency, or CSA. Now, neither Gene nor Mark knows what they posted. I kind of kept it a little secret here just because it was so great. Uh, I saw it, and yesterday they said, what if we launched a new line of products available today only, meaning April 1st, 2022? Uh, The four items are a beanie hat that says, the cold and darkness of space doesn't scare us. We have winter. (laughs) Uh, A candle. Smells like space. And maple syrup. <laughs> uh, a tote bag that says it's pronounced Canadarm, not Canada arm, <laughs> with a lot of A's. And uh, my favorite Canadian Space Agency, just like NASA, but in Canada and smaller. I saw that. And I actually think I retweeted it. And, and I said, I want that T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I want the shirt so bad as well. I want that t-shirt. <laughs> I, I, that's the thing it's one of those where you wish it that's one of those few ones where you wish it wasn't an april fools because like you know what i'd buy that yeah i i would too actually <laughs> so just wanted to send a shout out to the team running the social media over at uh, csa our friends to the north so you done good i would uh even go so far as to shake your candid arm and say well done <laughs> Indeed, I thought I, I thought that that T-shirt was great. In fact, there was one other prank you know, dealing with the cannon arm. Somebody had indicated that it had, had fallen away, and I'm like, yeah, you know, then use some really, really swift you know, CGI to go ahead and demonstrate that it had and all that. But I saw that, and I was like, okay. You, 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 these days, you don't know if they're serious. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, there was uh, another one they posted in the comments on their Facebook version of it, to which uh, they replied, what about a fanny pack or a bum bag, if you are British English? Two arms aren't enough to hold all your stuff. We're building Canada Arm 3 for you. <laughs> oh, good. You know, seriously, they ought to like think about marketing some of this stuff because that's that's something i'd buy too to believe it or not <laughs> it's hysterical and again that's it's nice to see these people that uh, take things really seriously and that you know let loose and have a little fun it's not harmful there's no meanness to it it's canadians doing what they do best poking fun of their canadianness and i mean that in the most polite <laughs> way possible <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> I, I had to. I <laughs> And now the letters will come. Oh, I know they will and I'm you, just blame me. But um uh no, I I, I applaud the, the the creativity. I really do. And gosh darn it, I really ought to think about that t-shirt. I would I would buy that in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. Uh by the way, the only place they were available was a pop-up shop near Neptune, but does not deliver. Darn. <laughs> so, <sighs> yes, I uh, just wanted to mention that out there that uh, they had a little fun. So uh, on that note, we will end our fun here. And uh, to thank everyone who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Uh, Mark, again, thank you for for being our eyes and ears out there and delivering some incredible insights on on what rollout day was like. But again, I'm looking forward to next week, looking forward to our discussion with uh, uh, about the budget and, and the, the wet dress wrap up and Sawyer, any insights you can bring back from Axiom One. That is going to be a historic mission, and I am looking forward to hearing what you, you bring back for us. I'm looking forward to hearing it, too. <laughs> but thank you. And uh, thank you as well for joining us, especially, and for all that you did there, Mark Raderman. Thank you. It's definitely a pleasure to have been at Kennedy again. And just for reference, as I was talking and rambling on about different things that I saw, I was looking at a uh, Google satellite view of the VAB and the pad and the press site area. So it's almost like being there, but being there is definitely special and encourage people to don't forget about Kennedy Space Center and your summer travel plans. They're definitely there. There's a lot to to do and see. And uh, 
If you're lucky, catch a glimpse of Artemis for yourself. And before we go, one more shout out. Um, I I just saw that uh, a dear friend of ours and a dear friend of the show, um, Andrew Farmer, she uh, she just lost her uh, her father. So I just wanted to go ahead and and wish uh, her family uh, deep condolences, and and we're all thinking about you here. Yes, definitely. Uh, and we want to thank all of you for joining us. And if you want to see any of Mark's photos from that day, they are on our Twitter at talking space. And you can also see a gallery of some of them. Once this show goes up on our website, talkingspaceonline.com. As we just mentioned, thank you for joining us. And as always have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.